think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. So they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 315 of Low Limit Football on this 7th of February, 2021. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Atletico Madrid expand their league in La, lead in La Liga after a 4-2 win over Cadiz, potentially moving that lead to 13 points over Real Madrid. Is it time for us to call our first title race of the season? Papu Gomez shines for Sevilla with his first goal since moving there from Atalanta. Juventus have climbed back to within five points of the Serie A title. Could both Milan clubs be worried about handing a 10 straight title to the Bianconeri? And today, we're going to turn our focus to France, where we see Lyon leading the league and Marseille in total disarray. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our special guest, freelance writer Muhammad Ali, who will be joining us in a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Who do you got to win uh, tonight, my friend? Uh, Chiefs. Me too. Chiefs. I hate because... Tom Because... Well, no, I, it's not that I hate. Listen, I, I beat my team beat Tom Brady twice, so I could care less, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when it listen for me, I, I know you have your debate and you have your opinions whatsoever. Uh -huh. But when or lose, he's still for me. He's still the greatest quarterback of all time. Quarterback, I well, will, I will agree with you. That, that's that's for me. Yeah, player. Uh, that's that's a different story. I mean, win yeah. or lose, he has the most Super Bowls. He's gonna be probably an undisputed Hall of Famer when his time is up. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this this guy's legacy is not tainted. However, mm -hmm. Mahomes could definitely enter that conversation as one of the greatest es if he does win tonight as well. Especially if uh, if he wins tonight and he runs off a few titles, um, you could definitely see that as well. Um, I got to say, though, you know, Tom, Tom Brady's probably quite happy that Eli Manning's not on the other sideline, right? <laughs> well, congrats to his brother, at least. He's in the Hall of Fame now. Yes, he is. Also, you know, Drew Pearson. Um, you know, right. when, I was, when I was a kid, one of the, one of the first uh, wide receivers that I used to admire, Tony Hill and Drew Pearson. 
and Drew Pearson got in uh, as well with him. So yeah, I mean, I know we we strayed from our normal football conversation, but that's okay. It's well, I wanted to go back on that because you said you might have our first league decided. I think Mm. we already have two that are decided, Joe. Not just one. You think it's two? I mean, you know, do you think? And I I think you're alluding to Germany. Um, I am. You know, I, I. I, maybe, maybe. I, I honestly, I, I think I'm a, I'm ready to pull a Dave Wasserman and say I've seen enough um, in terms of uh, in terms of La Liga. But Germany is, you know, you might be right only because Dortmund is is you know certainly floundering at the moment. You know, compared to what we won, what we expected of them. I, and I'll be honest with you, I think the them sacking Lucien Favre middle of the season like they did. I think has had an effect, um, but RB Leipzig just has not been able to keep pace with Bayern and Bayern's Bayern, you know? So, right. um, yeah, you know what? Let's, let, let's do it. Let's stamp, let's stamp it. We have our first two title winners. Absolutely. Atleti, uh, you know, no doubt they're provisionally 13 points ahead. That one's done. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think it is a testament to one, how bad Barcelona have been and how much disarray they've been in all season. But two, mm-hmm. How incredibly well Atleti has played all season long in in league. I think it's been a phenomenal um, run for them this year. I I think now their main objective is now for the Champions League because I think that's the ultimate goal. I mean, yes, you don't want to lose track of the uh, Liga and all that kind of stuff. But now I think this team really is a serious contender for the Champions League. I mean, they they have a big test in Chelsea and... Assuming that they do go through, um, you don't know what could happen with this Chelsea side now under uh, Thomas Tuchel, who have been doing well ever since he took over. Um, but I think this side really needs to focus now on the Champions League because I think that's the one thing that they need. And yeah. that could stamp Diego Simeone's legacy at the club forever. No kidding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's um let's jump into it because we have a jam-packed show. My friend, you have the honors of trivia this week, so be gentle with me, please. Yes, and actually, I this came up literally in the five sec in like five minutes that I was looking for because I was looking for it. I was trying to find a good one, and then all of a sudden, this happened, and I was like, "Boom, let's do it." So, Slatan uh, Ibrahimovic, at the time of recording, has scored his 500th career goal for eight, for in his career. He scored for AC Milan just now, um, so that puts him at 500 career goals mm-hmm. uh, in all of his clubs. Mm-hmm. Now, going at all of the clubs that he played for, and these are the clubs that he has played for in his career, Malmo, Ajax, Juventus, Inter, Barcelona, Milan, Manchester United, PSG, LA Galaxy. I want you to name them, name the teams that he scored the most for in order. So from most to least oh, good in his career. Can you give me the teams again? It was Malmo. Yep, I'll give you a right in order again. Yep. Malmo, Ajax. Yeah. Juventus, Inter Milan, Barcelona, Milan, PSG, Manchester United, LA Galaxy. Okay. And I've got to give them to you in order. Okay. I, I, in order I, of most goals most that goals he scored for this club all the way to the, the end. Interesting stuff. We'll definitely get to that at the end of the show. That, that one is going to be fun. Um, let's talk about opening thoughts. And opening thoughts this time around centers around Champions League coming up. Uh, in just about two weeks, right? Uh, but we have a, a problem with, with with our with our scheduling of matches. FIFA, I'm sorry, UEFA has said that the teams they basically have to check with their local municipalities uh, and their international governments to uh, allow for travel. There are travel bans going on right now because of COVID. 
and have basically set up uh, rules that if a team is not allowed in, that the home team needs to find a way to reschedule the match or forfeit the match 3-0, whatever leg it may be, the first or second leg. And the first match that has been affected by this is the Liverpool-RB Leipzig matchup in the Champions League. The German government is not allowing uh, the English travel into Germany at the moment. And with the with the match just a couple of weeks away, they are basically prevented, Liverpool is prevented from traveling into Germany for this particular match. Now, as... As we started to talk about this, Dale Johnson on ESPN has confirmed that the round of 16 match between Leipzig and Liverpool, instead of being played in Leipzig, will be played at, played at the Puskas Arena in Budapest. And so we've, we've had our first effect of COVID on this particular rule and on this particular tournament here in the round of 16. For me, Roberto, this is a it's an interesting thing because it is something that I, I, I don't like uh, it creates for me a inequality in terms of competition. I know we're not playing in front of fans, but for a team to not have to travel to their destination to play a match, there is something to be said about the ability to be rested, the ability to play in your own home field, your ability to play in familiar surroundings. And that will not happen for RB Leipzig in this one. Now, Liverpool will also welcome Leipzig in. There is no restriction going the other way, so Liverpool will have the second match at Anfield. Again, home home uh, match, that sort of thing. But I, I feel like this creates a little bit of a, a discrepancy in the competitive spirit of the two-legged match. I think that if anything, if the, if the matches had to be moved, they should move them for both teams, although that can be another logistical nightmare as well. But it was an interesting thing to come up just a couple of weeks ago where they instituted this rule, and then now we have an effect. Now, we also want to keep an eye on the Bayern-Munich tie in this one because Bayern, I believe, is their second leg will be played in Munich. And if this rule still exists, Bayern-Munich will have to move that match or suffer a 3-0 forfeit. So I'd like your thoughts on the rule, uh, how it was handled, and and is it fair? No, it's not fair. Um, I think... Unfortunately, because of something like this, I mean, look, no one expected that an entire pandemic would ruin football for what it is um, wholeheartedly. But I I think there is something to say about what kind of reasons could be going on as to why give the advantage to one team over the other. You know, if if anything, you know, why not just play those two legs in, in Budapest or something. And that's because um, this whole thing was out of Leipzig's hands. Like they were not under their control to, to do such a thing. But yeah, it, it really is going to be interesting to see what happens to a lot of these teams because, you know, the, the, there's a lot, there's four German teams in the, in the knockout stages of the Champions League, Joe. So, you know, we don't know what will happen to Dortmund. We don't know what's going to happen to, Bayern Munich. We don't know what's going to happen to Mojin Gladbach as well, you know, because they have to play. Uh, I think Manchester City, if I'm not mistaken, um, or something that, like that. That's correct. On the, on, check. On yeah, the so right. it's the same situation. So, who is this? A case of UEFA giving a disadvantage to the Bundesliga teams? Who knows? But I, you know, these restrictions. I mean, they're, they're out of their control, and you know, they're, they're in place until. I think until February or something, but you know, for for that to happen, it's just it, it just sucks that it has to happen to Leipzig. But now, you know, 
if if it were gonna go to this case, why not just play it on neutral ground at this point? Mm-hmm. Because that way, one team's not in a disadvantage. I mean, you're not gonna get fans anyway, so you're not gonna get any gate receipts or anything. I mean, the, it's not an issue whatsoever. But it's just it's things like this that were completely out of their control that unfortunately hurts teams like Leipzig. You know, and, and unfortunately, it's only going to hurt Leipzig because the German restrictions are only in place until the 17th. Really, we're looking at a situation that was affected by one day because Leipzig and Liverpool are scheduled to play on the 16th together. So now, the the other German teams, first, Bayern's going to travel to Lazio on the 23rd. We're beyond that date. And Mönchengladbach and Dortmund, Gladbach uh, welcomes in City, Dortmund welcomes in Sevilla. But those particular matchups don't happen until... Um, the seven. I'm sorry, the 24th for Munch and Gladbach, and the Dortmund leg is the second leg, which will be played on March 9th. So those teams really weren't affected by this. Um, I didn't dig into the Europa League schedule just as of yet because they're in the round of 32. But uh, just a quick scan over here. I'm looking at uh, Hoffenheim. We'll have to probably reschedule. And I haven't. I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize. I, I'm like I said. I'm scanning through quickly, and I'm not seeing any of the the German sides. Um, having to play their first match at home. So this didn't affect them. And besides, it would be on the 18th, which would be beyond the, the 17th date as well. So really, this this only hit uh, RB Leipzig in this particular situation. And again, like you said, I, I think there's, there's an inequality of competition because of this. And I feel like um, maybe UEFA should have either you know stepped in and either A asked both teams to play neutrally to make to give a, a level of fairness in the competition or B what they could have done is they could have just moved it to next week do you know instead of playing this match on the 16th they could have moved it to the match day on the 23rd or 24th and and allowed for Leipzig to bring in Liverpool and allow for equality of competition as well so it's it's unfortunate that it had to be this way uh, because of local government rules and regulations, and we haven't seen any other teams or, or any other countries limit this travel as of yet. So hopefully, this will not happen. As things, we're starting to see globally start to improve slightly with with the COVID pandemic, and it doesn't affect the competition of football. And and who knows? Maybe by the end of the Champions League final, maybe we'll get a few thousand fans into the stadiums to watch. So. Um, Let's let's table this discussion, Roberto, because I think we have a great, great interview coming up. We were able to welcome in uh, freelance writer Muhammad Ali to discuss all things league on, uh, you know, fantastic stuff going on, whether we're talking about the turmoil at Marseille, we're talking about the league on title race, the rumors of Jorge Sampaoli coming in and being the head coach. Um, at Marseille is going on right now. The resurgence of Monaco. There was so much information going on or so many things going on in Ligue 1 that we wanted to dedicate an entire segment to it. So without further ado, the Muhammad Ali interview. Joining us now on Low Limit Football, freelance writer Muhammad Ali. Muhammad, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board. I want to jump into the discussion of Ligue 1 quickly and, and much more specifically Marseille after the the week or two of massive turmoil that we've had at the club. We've had the pitch invaded by fans. We've had Andre Villas-Boas, the, the now former manager, walking away from the side. Um, fans are calling for the president to, to leave. They're calling for um, the club to be sold. I mean, there is so much going on. What is the latest right now with Marseille, and why has this all come about? Um, yeah, exactly. It's not exactly a... Um a quiet moment in OM, um, even when things are 
relatively stable as they were in the last sort of 12 months, uh, things can come to a head pretty quickly. You know, we're six, one, six weeks away or since where the um, the club was actually in the title race and, and you know, winning, uh, you know, lots of league games in a row. Things were looking rosy and the outlook for 2021, while difficult, looked to be at least uh, something to build on. Um, obviously, last year was difficult in a in a COVID sense for for all teams, um, but that you know still has only papered over some of the cracks in Marseille. I mean, some of the fan groups have long been annoyed by how the club has been run um, by the uh, board. Um, there's much of a corporate feel, uh, which is at odds to Marseille's sort of working class, rough around the edges sort of vibe, um, and they haven't really taken to that. Obviously, the results haven't been good. Um, particularly in January. Um, so the club returned to the Champions League for the first time in seven years, only to hit sort of new depths um, in taking the new record for the highest number of defeats in a row in the Champions League, uh, but also, you know, not even managing to put off a fight in a challenging but doable group in, in opponents such as Porto and Olympiacos. Um, obviously Man City as well, but... Um, you would have thought they would have at least had a proper fight for the Europa League spot and prolonged the European adventure. So that was also um, the camel that broke, uh, the, sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, so to speak. Um, as for the fans, um, yeah, you know, the fans have, have long uh, been annoyed by, by the board. Um, and without having sort of the stadium and, and sort of the usual um, accesses to, to vent their frustration... Um, they've obviously gone ahead and, you know, vented the frust- their frustrations in the training ground. And things came to a head pretty quickly, which is obviously most unfortunate for the club, for its image domestically and, and across the world. Um, but you would have thought that obviously the way that things have been going and sort of the simmering tensions um, that are also off the pitch, you know, there, there are talks of the, the fan groups being annoyed that, Dissolve, you know, the, the the management dissolving the fan groups to to in, in you know inject a more you know it's a more sensitised version of the fans at the Velodrome, which again you know Marseille is well known for its fan culture, for its overbearing and impressive uh, fan demonstration. So you know they've been really really pissed off by that, and obviously the um, the idea that. Um, outsiders are looking to change sort of the unique DNA of Marseille hasn't been taken too well. It's obviously very unfortunate what's been going on in terms of the violence. I think lines have most certainly been crossed, but this is just a long, another chapter in a long history between the club, its identity, the city and the fans. And and you bring up a long history, and I think I agree with you. The the current president, Jacques-Henri uh, Ariad, has been there, I believe, since 2016 and has never really yeah. um, endured with the fan base. And really, like you said, this is one of the most passionate fan bases in all of Europe, uh, bar none. Um, what what has what has he done? You know, ultimately, what are kind of the trigger points that have really separated him from from the fan base itself? I think it's essentially that the idea that he's probably not a football man. Um, so, you know, if you look at some of the clubs around Europe, you know, they normally have sort of mavericks and showmen, so, you know, guys that really understand the footballing landscape, for better or for worse. Um, but what, what we, we don't have um, is sort of a guy that has has a feel of uh, sort of an academic or a, or a corporate guy, a guy that doesn't look 
sort of too dissimilar um, than the guys that you see in Wall Street or all these other places. So that's very, very sort of bizarre to see. But I think some of the criticism to him ha has been a little unfair because obviously on the field is where Marseille will be judged. And on the field, results are not good. You know, there have been many transfer misses. There's been a racking up of huge losses. And, you know, at the end of the day, Marseille in the last four years have finished uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, second and have gone to the Europa League final. Um, so in that context, it's not it's not as good as obviously the Deschamps era when they won the title and were going deep into the Champions League. But compared to other more chaotic eras of Marseille, especially just before that period where Marseille finished uh, 12th and 13th, um, you know, and, and switching managers very often uh, in the middle of the season, that's not exactly, you know, a, a, a bad thing. And they've, you know, he's sort of bringing his idea of management you know corporate speak the idea of productivity um being diminished because the employees of the club are mostly from the local areas obviously the team loses they're you know not going to be working as hard the next day because they're you know their mood has shifted and vice versa you know the local people see that as a strength that you know marseille the club it's in the image of its supporters in the city whereas there's an idea that the, the board see it as uh, and they're you know a corporate vehicle, so you know they're looking at numbers and figures and competition. In that you know Marseille is 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 essentially it's entertainment. Football is entertainment, so therefore we need to focus on getting eyeballs from Netflix, from Fortnite, from from these sort of things. Now these are things that are said in sports summits and you know like Soccer X and places like that, which are attended by club executives. But you know when these are leaked onto Twitter, out of context, in times of, you know, poor results, then you can imagine the frustration and, you know, when the club is failing to qualify for the Champions League every single year, when, you know, sizable transfer signings um, are failing to score and there's, you know, more pressing images, they, they don't want to see that. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's a football club, it's a sports club, you know, the fans put a lot of effort in um, and that's where you get judged. You don't get judged on the balance sheet. You don't get judged elsewhere. You get judged by your league standings. Um, so, there, you know, that's that's how it, it sort of come to a head. Um, you know, they're they're calling for the head of the president, who they just feel that does not represent Marseille anymore. So, um, they want to move on from that, and they're calling obviously for a change of ownership that may or may not come. Um, but you know, that's football these days. You know, football uh, globalization has seeped into football. There's, you know, it's not so much sort of the league table anymore um it's more income streams and sponsorships and and you know out of out of the field activities um but you know in marseille like i said being a working class city being a rough around the edge city a place that lives breathes and you know it's all things football in the same way that napoli is in the same way that liverpool is you know these poor cities and squishy cities where the club is everything and you know the club is a city and the city is a club. Um, they don't want to hear that. You know, that this sort of speak might not be too different from what you get into the top clubs in you know, Bayern Munich and Barcelona, etc., but not in a place like Marseille, especially not now. You know, it's funny, your your description of Ariad and what he's done at Marseille or, or his attitude and his perception at Marseille bears a striking resemblance to a particular 
uh, person running Manchester United and Edward Wood. So it's 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 amazing to see that uh, similarity there, especially between uh, passionate fans uh, fan bases. Um, looking forward now to Marseille, we are looking at a, a massive match on both sides of the ledger here today where Marseille take on PSG in Le Classique. Obviously, Marseille need this this match. They, they certainly need it if they want to have any hope of getting back into Europe. They are, you know, they're running, just looking quickly. It looks like their last five matches, only two draws. PSG, though, are also desperate to win this match because they are currently sitting uh, four points out of the top spot uh, in Lyon, and need to make up some of that ground if they're going to continue to challenge for that. You've got also Lille working their way uh, to the top of the table as well. So what does Le Classique mean for both Marseille and PSG going into today's match? Yeah, well, it's two different things, first of all. Um, PSG obviously need to 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 win this, and they're comfortably stacked um, to, to sort of reach that objective. Um, obviously, they also want to collect three points, not only to stay in the title race, but to... A, push Marseille further into the quagmire, into the crisis that they find themselves in, which I'm sure most PSG fans are reveling in, but also to get revenge of what happened in September where they suffered a, a shock defeat to OM the first time in nine, nine, ten years that that's happened. So they are definitely looking to smell revenge, um, to, to seek that out and to to sort of impact and inject their superiority over OM again. Now, you know, the result in September really um, changed everything for OM, at least in the short term, in that, you know, a lot of people saw that that, that result, the 1-0 um, result, obviously, over five red cars in a very gritty match, um, really saw that OM could finally, you know, play with the big boys. They've managed to overturn and shake off a tag where they couldn't beat their rivals in the league. And obviously, the record against PSG was a, a long sore spot for OM. So the fact that that came so soon after the Champions League final as well, um, it, it was it was a big bonus. Obviously, the fortunes are very, very different. Uh, five months on, OM are not in the title race anymore, not even in the Champions League race. Um, well off the pace in qualifying for the Europa League, at least, and without a manager. Um, and, you know, a couple of players have left in January, a couple more come to the end of their contract. The results have been poor. It's, it's such a shame that it sort of arrived like this. But one thing I cannot be certain of is how if OM do pull off a result tonight, then it feels like, again, a lot of the items that we've just spoken about in this, in this podcast so far have been papered over. Um, and, you know, at least if, if, if they manage that, then it's, you know, there's going to be a truce. There's going to be like, oh, great, fantastic. Well, at least you've represented us in the field. You've, you know, you've beaten the enemy. Um and that's great. Let's focus on at least finalizing um, the end of the season and seeing what's next. Now, Mohamed, I wanted to jump in real quick on the whole managerial aspect of Marseille. Obviously, you know, they got rid of Andre Villas-Boas. And one of the key replacements, or at least in the rumor mill that we've been seeing, is Jorge Sampaioli coming in to be the new manager of Marseille. Obviously, we have seen Jorge Sampaioli in his experience with Chile. We saw him at Sevilla. Argentina now is at currently at Atletico Mineiro, who are about to finish their season and, you know, are still in the title race as well for in the Brasileirão. But, you know, I, I just wanted to ask, you know, how likely is this going to happen? Is this someone that might even fit what Marseille wants? And, you know, looking at how the season is about to end very soon in, in Brazil, is this a case where Marseille are looking to get him now or wait until the end of the season and try to get him on for the new season uh, starting uh, in the summer? Uh, that's a good question. So, 
um, you know, there are preliminary talks has been reported in in the French media, but there's an idea that Sampaoli will be um, a very good signing. I think personally, it's I would have loved to have seen him perhaps two, three years ago when the succession to um, Rudy Garcia um, was was being mentioned, and this is at a time where he had just left um, the job at Argentina after the World Cup. Um, but that's you know this is a very very good manager a manager that exudes passion a manager that um, really focuses on attacking football as a gift to the supporters who 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 live and breathe football there are certain caliber of managers that playing the right way is just as important as getting the right result um, you know Arsene Wenger is a big proponent of that Marcelo Bielsa in particular who who San Paolo bases his game on is 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 a, is another another uh, reference to that. Um, and, and that's what Marseille essentially wants to see. You know, they've had years of very dull football. Even in the AVB era, there's been pretty dull football where when you're winning 1-0, the football doesn't really get mentioned. But when results start to get unraveled and teams sort of start to suss you out and, and sort of break through your low block, which is what AVB um, sort of put forward as a tactic, um, then results tend to unravel and obviously then the style of play gets criticised. Marseille is is desperate for a guy that can bring back the heyday of the Bielsa days where the results were quite erratic and OM did eventually finish fourth, not even qualifying for the Champions League. But that was by you know by and large the best season in the 21st century that many can think of in Marseille. Um and that includes a title winning season, that includes um other 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 good sort of seasons by results. But the style of football that was played with the Valadro, um before it all unraveled obviously as it does with Bielsa. Is is what they want to go back to, and I think San Paoli offers the clearest um, option if you want to sort of um, go back to those days. Um, he himself has spoken of Marseille previously. He's, you know, he's he's not entirely experienced in Europe, but had a you know really good season uh, with Sevilla, where they managed to finish in the top four, ending Real Madrid's run, and also like there were plenty of goals um, for Sevilla that year. But he he spoke. Um, when he was the Sevilla coach, about what sort of clubs does he want to sort of manage in Europe, what clubs and identities does he want to, um, you know, take on, which projects he want to take on. He mentioned Marseille as well as Galatasaray as, you know, these clubs where the passion and the style of play sort of come together as one, where, you know, you can get a lot out um, of not only of the team, but of the supporters as well, which you can use um, to, to really heighten the experience. And I think, that's what Martin needs to aim for. I think he'd be a he'd be a great coach, um, but obviously, you know, this is sixty five percent of the way through the season. Uh, obviously, they're coming to the end um, of the season in Brazil. He's he's not exactly a free agent, but uh, and Marseille do have a very challenging February where they play Paris Saint Germain tonight, but also Lille, Lyon, and Rennes as well, who are all above them in the table um, by by the end of the month. So, it, you know, if he, if he takes his job. You know how, what what support will he get? Because there are a couple of players, star players like Florian Tovan coming to the end of their contract. This is a club that's currently in turmoil. Um, you know, would it be better to come at the end of the season? And that's what other managerial targets uh, are saying at the moment, like Lucien Favre, who is another coach that we're looking at. But you know, the club is currently too much of a hot potato to take on midway through the season. Um, it's probably best for the dust to settle. But um, Make no mistake, he'd be. I think he'd be a great coach. I think, um, you know, as 
to a guy that references Bielsa a lot in his style of play, and Marcelo Bielsa is one of the most revered other managers, certainly in the 21st century. So I think it could definitely it could definitely be a good match. Obviously, like Bielsa, it could all end um, very you know weirdly as well. But um, at least you know it's better to be on on the ride, I suppose. And and mind you, yeah, Sampaoli has that history of being a, a ticking time bomb when things don't go his way. And I'm sure that influence that he got from Bielsa, um, both on and off the pitch, shows that. But yeah, I agree. I, I think with Sampaoli, I think, you know, many people really underestimated him after his time in Argentina. I mean, we have to remember this guy won a Copa America with Chile, as you said, went top four with Sevilla. And, you know, has done decently well in, in Brazil during his time there. So definitely is someone that has proven his worth, and I think would definitely like a, a great project like Marseille, uh, especially in a in a really situation that it's in right now. And speaking of what's going on in the league race, uh, Mohamed, I mean, we, we see, you know, you look at PSG taking on Marseille in Le Classique, looking to get back into the title race because, you know, we have two teams that are looking to also go and ruin their, I guess, stronghold of of winning uh, many titles, and that's Lyon and Lille. I mean, Lyon is a side that we know has had history winning this uh, title. You know, obviously, they were a successful team way back when, when they won successive titles in Liga. We saw them in the semifinals of the Champions League last time around. And then we have Lille, who are a side that are doing consistently well in Liga for, for quite some time, but have not reached this part of the uh, of the Liga race. So I just want your thoughts on how this race has turned out, how Lyon and Lille have kind of gotten the advantage over PSG. And, you know, I guess, you know, speaking it bluntly, Mohamed, is this the best chance that we have of any of these two teams knocking off PSG and, and possibly winning the Lyon uh, title? Absolutely. And I think um, it is, first of all, a great image for the Liga. And obviously, there have been a lot of problems, not just through COVID, but with the TV debacle. Of, and questions surrounding isn't it is Liga actually worth it? Is it is it um, an interesting league? Is it a league where investors and TV money can be spent? And the best way to sort of silence those critics is a a long-standing title race, which is something that we don't often get, particularly in the last few years in in Liga. Um, first of all, uh, let's start with Lille. I mean, they've been utterly fantastic. They've built their side around a young base. They've got players that are continuing to score goals all across the field, but also you know, they are what other teams such as Marseille would like to emulate, where you're signing players for not a lot of money, with the correct level of coaching, with a more coherent system and other young talent. You can not only reach your own objectives, that is to qualify for the Champions League, but also um, help yourself financially by selling these players off for a big profit. We had Nicola Pepe a couple of years ago. We had Ossimhen. Um, now Renato Sanchez is enjoying a, a, a fantastic season. Um, with Lille, but you've got Yusuf Yazici, you've got Jonathan David, who started to really come good in the last um, month or two. Um, and, you know, the same pretenders as you've got, you know, Kone and Bamba and Benjamin Andre. It's it's fantastic coaching by Christophe Gaultier. What Lille have managed to sort of strike off is, um, you know, some timid uh, behaviour against sort of the big clubs, They've managed to now enter these matches with confidence, with a swashbuckling attacking um, formation. And as you saw in the Europa League, how they played and took to matches against Celtic, against AC Milan. In a, in a challenging group, they also did pretty well there. Um, and they've managed to not fall into the trap of those sort of stodgy games against the bottom sides in Liga, where they're picking them off with ease. So the consequence of that is that they are actually 
I, I think personally, the favourites, um, obviously Paris Saint-Germain are Wolverhampton back, but with Champions League commitments, um, that, that may struggle. But I think um, Lille right now, I just can't see them uh, dropping points practically every, anywhere. Whereas 12 to 18 months ago, I'd say every match is a bit of a challenge for them, um, particularly those on the roads. But they've really eradicated those those flaws over the past 12 months. And the credit to that goes to Gaultier. Lyon, on the other hand, helped massively by the fact that there's no Champions League for them or, or, or any European competition after last year. And that was a blessing in disguise for them, even though they were very um, outspoken on the fact that they felt they were cheated out of European football, having qualified or gone to the Champions League semi-final. But they've taken that they've kept their best players. They will talk of Depay and Awa leaving um, over the la- over the summer, over the winter even. Um, but they've managed to hold on to them and really eat sort of their financial pressures of the fact they're not in Europe and just ride out. And the benefit of that is that they've kept um, the same, largely the same team with one or two additions, one or two smart additions through Bruno Guimaraes last January, Lucas Paqueta. Um, and they've built out a strong midfield who are able to feed into a very, very strong attack. Tino Caduaria signing from a Ligue 2 last year has really taken um, to Ligue 1 by storm, uh, not only supplying Memphis Depay, but getting important goals himself. But um, you've also got Carl um, Toko uh, Ikambi, who, you know, once was not you know, seen as a squad filler because of Depay's uh, injury um, last year. Um, and no one really expected about, you know, anything from him but he's been very much a hard worker and supplying the front three with with creative opportunities um Awa is, is still you know performing well I don't think he's as good as he was uh last year but that's sort of mitigated by the fact that the whole squad has improved in level um Rudy Garcia who was you know criticized heavily for the sort of the latter job that he did at Marseille has 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 done really really well but part of me also suggests you know how how well are they, you know, is it because other clubs don't have the have the commitments that they don't have um, or is this, you know, the real deal? Uh, we'll see. They are still beholden to some slip-ups. I mean, they've gone eight games without defeats, but they then lost 1-0 at home to uh, a decent Mets side, um, which was a shock defeat for them. And so they're not, I'm not as confident as the, um, for them as I am with Lille, for example. And then you've got Paris Saint-Germain who, you know, you've seen... This year, you know, no one really focuses on Paris Saint-Germain domestically because either they'll, you know, they they will eventually rise to the to the uh, to the top. Um, but this year, you know, you've had actually a poor domestic record relatively compared to what they've had under the Qatari era. Not only have uh, they're not first, obviously, uh, coming into February, but they've lost to Marseille, they've lost to Lyon, they've lost to Monaco, they've drawn against um, Lille. You know, that's a very poor record. Um, whereas on the inverse, you've got Lyon and Marseille who've actually got an unbeaten record against the top three. Um, so, you know, they they have sort of sacrificed their coach to bring in a new coach with new ideas. But as we saw with the introduction of Carlo Ancelotti in 2012, changing a manager mid-season does not guarantee league title success. Um, and I think Poch is more long-term. I think the idea is that they want to replicate the Champions League, again, I think if they reach the Champions League final this year, doesn't matter what happens in League 1, you know, they're not going to win League 1 every year and that provides a challenge for next year. Um, you know, they've won two, three in a row now. Um, the focus is to really solidify their Champions League credentials and that's the main focus. Obviously, they would love to win the league title, 
but you know they'll they'll go to the end. But the focus is definitely the Champions League, and I think that's what's sort of hurt them domestically. Um, but also, you know, we mentioned three teams. Don't forget about Monaco, who are just three points behind Paris Saint Germain, who you know are one game away from actually being into that title conversation. This is again like like Leon, a team that doesn't have any European commitments, a team that have, has been really under the radar, but have really come into it over the last. Uh, two months, you know, they've they've they picked up a really strong win over OM um, a couple of weeks ago, but you know, also famously beat Paris Saint Germain coming from two 0 down in November. Uh, Niko Kovac has really built um, a good squad. You know, this is a squad that's very mishmash. You know, they don't know whether they want to promote young talent. You know, signing off Pietro Pellegri, for example, William Gobos from Leon. They they're actually still on the fringes of the squad, but they've promoted other young talents while picking up interesting, experienced players, such as Kevin Volland, who came in from Leverkusen. You've got Caio Henrique as well, who've come in. They're, both of them have had a fantastic season so far. And they're silently doing their business. You know, the aim for them is to get into the Champions League. They've been mid-table and sort of the bottom half of the table over the last couple of years, um, sort of um, the Thierry Henry, Jardim areas. But Niko Kovac has built a very, very coherent side and they have blended the experience in youth and obviously Ben Yedda and Volan getting the goal. So it's actually a four four horse race. Um, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's anyone's guess, really. Yeah, you must be a mind reader because you actually took my last question from me. I was going to ask <laughs> you about Monaco. So let me let me ask you this, because I mean, no team was more famously turned down, you know, burnt to the ground and then rebuilt from the ashes like Monaco. I mean, we've seen many different French teams do that. We've seen Lyon do that. We've seen Marseille do that. But we've never seen um, a team that was was so ripped apart that it almost was relegated, um, only to come back to this point. And they've won seven of their last eight matches. Like you said, they have stuck their nose into that uh, that title race in Ligue 1 here. If you had to put your finger on one thing, you know, and there are many different factors. Obviously, you, you mentioned the introduction of Voland. We uh, Ben Yedder has also scored 11 goals for them so far this season. They have... Plenty of experience up front. Stefan Jovetic is there. You mentioned the youth in Pietro Pellegri, who came over from Italy. Um, Cesc Fabregas came in and is now playing well for them as well in the midfield. So there's been a great mix. Uh, Jabril Sidibe is also another uh, experienced defender that has come in and helped out. So if you had to put your finger on one factor for Monaco that has allowed them to be where they are at this moment right now, what would that be? I think stability. Um, Stability and Kovac. Kovac has been, I think, a big influence over the last um, sort of 12 months, uh, well, not even 12 months, six, seven months. I mean, what we had last year was Robert Moreno, who came in, who other than a really decent first result drawing at at Paris, um, sort of struggled and silently was disposed of over the summer during the COVID COVID break. Um, Kovac has come in and really implemented a coherent sort of set of tactics. He's he's promoted a couple of young players who were perhaps a little bit cast aside and has sort of given the team an identity. They you know they're 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 playing in a base of a four four two, but you've got really fast wingers, you've got the two up front who are working very well together in the same way that um in, in Paris you've got Mbappe and Icardi, you know, when Icardi's playing they they work and complement each other with one that's a bit more forward and sort of the poacher in the box, the other one that's doing the sort of hard work, getting in between the lines. And I think you've got that um, in some respects as what, uh, you know, Voland and, and Ben Yedera are doing. You've got a defence that's actually, you know, not shipping goals crazily anymore. Uh, Guillermo Maripan has been sort of converted to a centre-back and is doing really, really well there. You've got the young Badia Shida who's really come of age uh, very recently. You've got 
um, the midfielder Kofana and Chouameni, who who have been brought from other clubs in Liga, Bordeaux and Strasbourg, who are um, being paired together at the base of the midfield and really providing sort of some grit and steel in the midfield. What we had previously with Monaco is, again, we don't know the identity. You know, are they replicating the good old days where they want to get big names into the principality or are they trying to get the best of the youth and hope they come good? We had that with the signing of Pellegri at two years ago. We had Guobos, you know, they've signed a lot of 17, 18, 19-year-olds who actually, while signed for decent money, didn't have a top-level experience. You need a blend of that. And one thing that Monaco have never sort of scrimped on is money. You know, they... Fortunately, obviously, with the sales of Mbappe, with you know the the money that they've had come in by having the 27 title team absolutely ravaged, they've you know the money has not been an issue. So they've had to build a coherent team, a team with identity, and they've managed that. And they've brought in a coach who, you know, isn't working against time as you know what unfortunately Thierry Henry had and um, Robert Moreno had and Jardim had the second time around, where they were looking for an instant return. You know, Monaco realised that this is going to be a long road, that they need to build a team and, you know, the results are not going to come over 12 months. It has to come over, you know, two, three years and try try and build stability and try and build a project again. They've been hurt because they've been trying to really get back into the 2017 title form. You know, again, that was a project in the making. That was a project four years into the making since they brought Falcao and James, etc. Um, so they need to get back to the mindset and they're doing that really, really well. You know, Monaco really, really flown under the radar. It's only since they've managed to get to fourth place to do people, have people started talking. Um, and that's exactly what they want. They don't want the pressure. They don't want um, sort of the, the column inches. Let people talk about Lille. Let people talk about Lyon. Let people talk about Paris Saint-Germain or elsewhere in the league. We're just going to do our job and we'll see what happens at the end of the season. The first gig is to get European football back. If they get to the Champions League, that's even better. Um, and everything else after that is a plus. Oh, fantastic stuff. Mohammed, before we let you go, where can everyone find your work? Uh, you'll find me on Twitter, probably rambling about Marseille at uh, Mohammed Ali underscore 93. That's two M's in the middle of Mohammed. But um, yeah, pleasure. Pleasure to speak with you guys. Really enjoyed it. Great. We, we enjoyed it as well. And uh, all the best to, to you. And we're looking forward to having you back again very soon, my friend. Cheers. Thank you very much. And special thanks again to Muhammad Ali for joining us and going through some great, great information on Lee going on the show. Roberto, we have one more topic we want to discuss quickly, and it's a follow-up from our discussion with John Arnold last week, and it's the agreement of the MLS Players Association, the union, and the league on a new collective bargaining agreement that will now run through 2027. When we talked about this last week, the the league was in, in fear of a lockout uh, as this negotiation was going on. Back in December, the league had uh, played the force majeure clause, which allowed for 30 days of negotiation and, uh, and and working their way through a new agreement. Again, protecting everyone protecting their money. Now we've got an agreement that runs through 2027. It's it's basically saves the season. The, the training camps for MLS clubs will open on February 22nd. The season will start April 3rd, and we will move through with a with a, with a a season, a normal season, as normals can be. Um, I wanted your thoughts on how this played out, and if um, you know if if you think that this will be the end of it, or if the 2026 World Cup is looming, and maybe more people see bigger dollar signs that somebody backs out of this agreement again. 
No, I mean, I feel like there's nothing more to add. I think, obviously, you know, the owners got their way. And I think in exchange, you know, the players are going to get a greater percentage of the national TV revenue in the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no salary cap cuts as well, which I think is super important now in this pandemic. You also have improved free agent parameters. I think you really look in a situation where it favors both parties. Yes, I, I think, you know, it, it probably would be wise to see what comes in the World Cup. But again, that's in five years. A lot can change in five years. And mm. and obviously, I, I think the league and the sport itself is going to get popular regardless. But I think why the unions prefer those short deals is to, you know, make those more favorable terms uh, come sooner. So, yeah, I think it's good that they've done this. I think obviously... They definitely needed to do something quickly in avoiding of a lockout because that's not what the the season um, or the league wanted uh, just a couple of months, weeks before the start of of the season. But I, I think it's the right decision. I, I'm, let's hope that they do stick to it. And, yeah, no, I'm happy to see that we'll actually have a season uh, in, uh, in April. So now, as it stands, the agreement will go through 2027. The, the It was extended two years, which is what the league owners wanted. The Players Association, Players Association only wanted to extend one year, but the, the league owners won on that. So the owners get their way, but in, in exchange, what they've traded off for that with the players' union was the players will receive a greater percentage of the national TV revenue, uh, improved free agent parameters, and there will be no salary cuts. There was a big fear of that, especially with the pandemic raging on and the uncertainty of when we'll get back to truly normal football with with fans in stadiums and, and, and those sorts of things. So these things were all agreed upon, and, and the league can move forward to, to, cl- to close up a a story that was certainly long running and uh, interesting at that, but there will be a 2021 MLS season starting on time. So um, Mr. Rojas, I know we have a great trivia question here that I'm on the hook for. If you wouldn't mind uh, repeating it for our listeners. I'm sorry, Joe. I thought we were doing oh, trivia. I'm sorry. I'm Not sorry. trivia. Match You're right. Week. I'm sorry. We have match of the week first. Boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, and that would be my honor, sir. So, this weekend we have uh, a few great matches coming up. We're going to kick off Saturday morning with Granada Athletic in the in La Liga at 8 a.m. Eastern. Then, what we're dubbing as the match of the week, Napoli Juventus at noon on Saturday. If you don't like that, the other co-match of the week, which the other big one is, Man City Spurs at 12.30 p.m. in the EPL. And we're going to close out Saturday with Lyon Montpellier at 3 p.m. Again, looking at that that title race going on in Ligue 1. On Sunday, we'll close out our European matches of the week with Wolfsburg Mönchengladbach at 12 p.m. on Sunday. So now, Your Honor, if you would give us the trivia question again. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, at the time of recording, Slatan Ibrahimovic scored his 500th career goal in all club competitions, uh, doing it for AC Milan. And, you know, the basic question I want to ask you is, out of all the clubs that he's played for, mm-hmm. and I gave you the list during the beginning of the show, I want you, in order, of the club that he scored the most with, all the way to the club that he scored the least with. Okay, so the most. Number one, I'm going to start with PSG. I think he was with a, Go ahead, sir. With 156 goals, that is number one. This is the tough one now. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with Inter Milan at number two. It's not Inter Milan. They're in third oh, it, it, with 66. Okay. So is it Barca a second? Nope. They are second to last with 22. Wow. 
Uh, I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more shot until I give you the the second place team. Let's do what? Uh, let's do Ajax. Ajax is in fifth. Okay. So, so... forty eight gold. The team that is in second in Slotin Rohevich's uh, list of goals is the club that he's playing for right now, Milan, ah. with eighty two. Okay. So then we had Inter at third. Um, you know, I'm going to give you the bottom team, and I'm going to go with Man United for the bottom team. It's not Man United. Is it Malmo? It's Malmo with 18 uh, goals. Okay, so that is, and he's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams. So that's ninth place. Then eighth, I'm going to give you eighth is Man United then. It's not Man United either, and I gave it to you. It's oh. Uh, Barcelona. Oh, it is Barcelona. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. You said it was second from the bottom. So really, I've got to place Man United, the LA Galaxy, and Juve in there. One, two, three. So we're looking for the fourth place team. Right. Um, I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the LA Galaxy for fourth place. Fifty-three goals. Wow! Yeah. Fourth place. Yeah, he had a, an incredible time there. I'm gonna go Juve. Uh, okay, so Ajax is fifth. I'm gonna go with Juve at sixth. It's not Juve at six. It's actually Manchester United in wow. six with twenty-nine. So, so, so Juve was seventh. Okay, so if correct. Give us the order, sir. That's right. So in order of the teams that he scored the most goals with all the way to the end, PSG 156, Milan 82, Inter 66, LA Galaxy 53, IX 48, Manchester United 29, Juventus 26, Barcelona 22, and Malmo 18 to round off the 500 career goals that Slatan Ibrahimovic has scored great qu- for great, all of his clubs. Great, great trivia question. You know, you forget... You forget that he's had the two stints at Milan, you know, so that's, and obviously he's been adding goals there. He's been doing very, very well and aged like a fine wine. So we'll, I'm sure we'll get more goals out of his life. Well, let me ask you this, what, what, what's the wine that Fatani Rehimovic would be if you had to guess? Oh, it's got to be big and bold, right? Um, So I'm, you know, something like a, like a big cab, like a, like a California cab, which, yeah, very fruit forward, very bold, holds up to a big fatty meat. I'm going to go with California Cab. Uh, something, if you want to give, give you a, a name, uh, something like an Opus. Um, opus 1 by Robert Mondavi. That's that's what I would do for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Not the absolute most sought-after uh, wine or, or cab in California, but certainly one of the biggest and best. So, Is it better than an aged port? That would be like Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, it, they're two very different wines. They're two because port tends to be a dessert wine. Sweet, but certainly fortified um, and bold as well. But uh, but not meant to be eaten, done with uh, steak. That's more <laughs> meant to be done with something like, a, you know, like, like a, a blue cheese or something like that. Something that is very salty, very bitter, and, and it acts, not bitter, but... Um, savory, so it would accent the uh, the port wine itself and the sweetness from the wine. So that's they're 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 two different worlds. Um, which which again, if you think about it, where Cristiano Ronaldo tends to play more of a winger, and Ibra plays more of a number nine. They're, they're two different worlds, but they kind of are both in an upper echelon of of where they where they should be. So um, yeah, I, California Cab would be uh, my Zlatan Ibrahimovic wine. Um, <laughs> So, without anything left in the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. 
And so for episode 315 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Muhammad Ali for joining us. Next week, we are going to start digging into the Champions League as they get ready to play. We might look a little bit deeper into the Leipzig-Liverpool situation as they move to Budapest to play that match. And we'll give you the rundown on the various leagues and happenings all around Europe. So for episode 315 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Rivera Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.